0: Hey right, guys, welcome to another episode of Mama to Mamas. This is, I always say this, but this is truly a treat for me personally because I have not seen in real life uh, my guest today for like eight years. So this is going to be a true heart-to-heart catch-up because we literally haven't spoken in so long. And that's why I love that Mama to Mamas came to fruition because of moments like these. So Molly and I have not seen each other, like I mentioned, since the summer of 2014, when we both lived in New York. And looking back, I can't believe, Molly, that when we met, you were still in college. (laughs) Like, it blows my mind, because you were such an old soul and wise beyond your years. And I'll never forget when they told us that we were having summer interns that year and that I was gonna get paired with Molly. (laughs) You guys are so compatible. You guys are the perfect match to be paired up together as summer intern. She'll be your your summer intern. And they were so right because we were kindred spirits right off the bat, long lost soul sisters. And also I just felt like you were my little sister. So (laughs) before we started recording, we were reminiscing that this memory of our New York summer felt like such a distant memory. None of us remember the details except our long hours (laughs) working in a loft on Broadway. And we share... The love for all things health and wellness um, and Sarah Borelis. In fact, uh, my last night in New York, we saw Sarah Borelis together <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and you can probably hear Molly's little two month old today, actually, Riv in the background, which is the most mama to mamas detail of all time. Get ready for some baby coos and snuggles during this episode. Okay. To round it out, Molly is the founder of MetaCool, a coaching and professional development company for women. And she's a mama to two little ones, Lane and River, Lane one and a half.
1: Yes. She's almost 18 months, which is crazy.
0: Okay. Crazy. And as we said, Riv is eight weeks and her and her fam live in the midwest and as you can tell we have the best special guest for this episode
1: yes maybe going down for a nap now
0: (laughs) yeah because as a first-time mom naps and wake windows and sleep schedules they're the top of mind
1: we are in it come here you come here you i was really hopeful that he would get to Hang out with the nanny today, but she called with, there's a binky, with pink eye this morning, which is going around.
0: So well, hopefully uh, it came today and not maybe yesterday when she was with you
1: guys. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Although, I mean, who knows? Lane had it two weeks ago uh, and, and then somebody else in her class just had it. So, you know, we've got the drops now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay, see yeah. you.
0: Can you quickly tell me about naming them, Lane and Rib? Because I feel like, because is it River for long, Rib for short? Yeah. Okay. Tell me about your naming process.
1: So when we found out we were pregnant with Lane, I'm one of those people I had already, when Carl and I started dating, I had a list of baby names in my phone. Of course you know, names that I liked. Uh, and Lane was always just the the top girl name. I just, I had heard it at some point a long time ago when I was in high school or college. And then I think too, there's that cute character on Gilmore Girls named Lane.
0: Oh, okay. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> right people about. Yep. are
1: familiar with that name, but that wasn't where I heard it. I heard it somewhere else and then wrote it down on my phone and really liked it. And I had told Carl right off the bat that I loved that name, like, when we started dating. And he didn't run for the hills. And I was like, hi, we just started dating and I want to name a little girl Lane. <laughs> That's when you know when they don't run, when you say that, like, in, like, month one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And he really liked it. So when we, when we got pregnant, we were like, oh, easy. If it's a girl, we'll name her Lane. Like, we didn't really. We looked at a few other options and just kept coming back to that and then our favorite boy name if it was a boy was river for a couple reasons I had heard that name on a tv show
0: Uh
1: and then there's that really beautiful Joni Mitchell song called river that I love and then um Ben Platt reprised it and his version like so I was really I was really hormonal when I first got pregnant with Lane and I didn't know if I was having a boy or a girl and I would listen to that song and just sit and cry. <laughs> and I thought it was so beautiful. I love it. Um, That's a good backstory. So yeah. And then there's that then. So then we had, we had Lane and then we found out we were pregnant with a boy and there's that head in the heart song, rivers and roads. I love that song. Yes. And Lane is like a road, you know yes so we were like oh we'll have a river and a road and love it. now we play that song all the time and then other fun backstory carl and i fell in love on the colorado river on a trip oh good
0: trip. see i trip. knew there was some soulfulness behind
1: this <laughs> <laughs> yes yes so here we are we've got river who we call riv for short and we love him
0: I love it so much. Okay. Uh, because we haven't talked in so long, I don't even know how you met your husband. So you have to tell me because obviously it's my favorite question to ask people.
1: I love that. So let's see, Carl and I met, we basically were introduced by our parents. Stop. Which is, yes. Mm-hmm. Then uh, did they so know each other? They did. Yes. They are moms and Carl's older sister. All worked together they were all on the same team a bunch of executive recruiters okay and so I was kind of friends with his sister who was like also really good friends with my mom and I was home from college I just graduated from Madison and was about to move back to New York full-time and Carl was living out in Colorado at the time in Denver and was home for the weekend and my mom and his sister wanted to get together for drinks and so they came over to my parents house and I was there and Carl was there and they were actually trying to set up their cousin with my little sister (laughs) and that didn't go anywhere but Carl and I started talking and really hit it off and he had gotten my number and you know we went to brunch the next day and just kind of texted a little bit yeah and then a couple kind of random things had happened where I had this kind of chunk of time before I was fully moving to New York to to basically take your job, I think, as you had left at that point. Oh my God. That's (laughs) amazing. I Um, like I forget those details. So we have to talk about them. Keep going. (laughs) Um so I had a couple weeks. I think it was like a month before I was moving to New York. And at the beginning of that month I met Carl. We were kind of chatting, texting a little bit. My granddad wanted to he and my grandma were living in Santa Fe at the time, but they have a place up in Northern Wisconsin that they spend their summers. He insisted he had to have his car there for the summer. So he wanted me to fly to Santa Fe and help him drive his car out. And he's like, you're not doing anything. You haven't moved to New York yet. You've got some time on your hands. Come do this with me. Okay. So I flew out to go help him with that. And I had a layover in Denver on my way to Santa Fe and my flight kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Like I was in the airport for, like six hours and naturally I texted Carl who I just met like a week before and I didn't know this but he was on a job he was he's he was a civil engineer at the time he was like an hour and a half away and was like oh I'll come meet you at the airport and we'll have a drink so I left security and we went and sat and had a beer in the airport and then my flight got delayed again and he was like all right I'm taking you to dinner and so we left the airport we went out to dinner in downtown Denver which was fun and he took me back to his townhouse to show me his cool rooftop and we kissed, kiss. Like so yeah. And so then, you know, I went on, I, I flew to Santa Fe, did the drive. And then a week later, he was about to go on this big raft trip with like 30 of his closest friends in Denver, mm-hmm. four days down the Colorado river ending in Utah. And he texted and was like, I think you should come on this with me. And I was like, not an outdoorsy girl (laughs) I'm like oh god but I really like this guy and I want to hang out with him and I think it could be really fun so I went out to lunch with uh, my cousin and was like sitting there I remember we were like eating Mexican food drinking margaritas and I like bought the flight on my phone and was like I can't believe I'm doing this and a couple days later flew out and ended up on this four-day raft trip where we're camping we're in rafts but it was so much fun. And we totally fell in love and like told each other that on that trip and stop. and then, That's yeah <laughs> yes, I love it. Uh-huh. And then dated long distance uh, when I went to New York, and he was in Colorado, and we did that for a long time until I ended up moving to Colorado. ok. the the fact that the universe,
0: because I remember, at least the one thing I remember, <laughs> it's not many, as we talked about, <laughs> was that, you were always, like, unsure. Like, should I do New York? You wanted to, but there was also some hesitancy. And so funny that the universe sent you, Carl, like, the mountain man. <laughs> yes. Before you became, like, the city
1: lifestyle. It's so true. He's totally my mountain man. And and I really, when I did end up leaving New York, and at the time, so, when we started dating, he was in Denver. By the time I moved, he was in Vail, which is okay. like a town of 3,000 people in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's a resort town, so there are awesome right. amenities and stuff like that, but it's still really small, local-wise. I was like, what am I doing? And very quickly realized it was my place. I loved it. I was so at peace. I was so content. It was everything I ever wanted. And, you know, I think New York, I feel like this was maybe your experience a little bit too. New York- I think is one of those places that can either be so energizing for people or so yeah. exhausting and draining. Yeah. And I really wanted to be the energized person, but it was really straining for me. Yeah. Totally. Just like, I don't know the pace of, of life and, and the, the, I don't know. I, I think I have always tried to be like a really social person, but I'm just not. I just want to be home and in bed by 10 and I don't actually want to have four cocktails. I want one really good glass of wine and that's it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yes.
1: And I want to work hard, but I also want to go to yoga class and, and get the sleep that I need. And yes, this is why
0: we're soul sisters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how long did you stay in New York? I was there after I graduated for about a year and a half.
0: Okay. And okay. We were dinner. that was like the same. I think I was there for almost or just under two years. So yeah. similar. Yeah.
1: Um, so I don't know if you remember the last few weeks of my internship. Yeah. Where I where you were my manager. Basically we had kind of wrapped up like the actual project we were working on. Yeah. And the last few weeks of my internship was me helping you move back to California. <laughs> I remember like calling moving companies and like going and picking up boxes. Oh my God. I hope I didn't scar you. This horrible. No. Oh my God. I made you no. do that. No. <laughs> you were like my best friend. And, I was, and you were gonna be so much happier in California. You were in a place where you weren't happy anymore in New York. It wasn't good for you anymore. No, no it was not. It was yeah. not.
0: Um I do, yeah, I remember, like, when I was reflecting back, like, you were this, like, bright-eyed, bushy, you know, like, you had one year of college ahead, you were gonna move to the city, and then you got paired with me, who was, like, in my, (laughs) I think it was 28 or something at the time, like, that was, that's, like, Saturn return, right, where you're, like, you kind of come into your own a little bit more. You're figuring your stuff out. You figure out what's not working for you. And I was like in that chapter of life (laughs) reflecting back. I'm like, I hope I didn't
1: ruin it for you. (laughs) No, I think honestly, when I look back at that, I think there was so much value in me being able to watch you go through that and try to help you through it because it also then, you know, a couple years later when I was going through it myself. And because I do think it's so easy, especially when you're in New York and you're in the industry that we were in and the, that career, you're surrounded by people who are like, this is it. This is the only way to do life. And it's really easy to get sucked into that and think that, and feel like a failure almost for, for New York not working and for that pace of life and that, climbing the corporate ladder thing, feeling like that doesn't work for you. And yeah. so I actually feel like then when I was going through it myself and going through the process of leaving New York and moving to Colorado and pursuing something that was going to be more aligned with my passions and my values, I remember thinking back to you a lot and being like, it's okay, Gina did this. <laughs> like and she's One you know and she's so it. happy now. And yeah, you know, this isn't the yeah. end all be all despite what people are saying. Like I had friends in New York Especially too, when I told them I was getting married, you know, cause I got married kind of young, which in the Midwest is not that unusual, but like in New York, yeah. like people were like, are you dying? Do you have cancer? Is that why you're getting married? Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like there, there was no possible explanation why I would leave New York, why mm-hmm. I would stop dating, you know, like, totally. aside from the fact yes. that something was terribly, terribly wrong. Yes. Yes.
0: It's like a whole different mindset. Oh my God. Now that you're saying this, there is a, again, like this kindred spirit parallel path, because like, I mean, the fact you moved to Vail, I moved to Cardiff, like Vail is the mountain town version of Cardiff by the sea, San Diego. We both pursued health and wellness and a version of coaching. And like, we were doing something that was helping women, like more aligned with our values. It's just unbelievable to think about the parallel path now that I'm like reflecting.
1: Yeah. And you, and I think that you, for me, had such a huge impact on all of that. Like through all of this, I think you have really been in the back of my mind. Because oh, I've just always it. loved you. Oh, Maltz,
0: right back at you. And we have our cerebrella bond. Every time I hear a cerebrella song, I'm like,
1: Malt's. Yes, Well, and it's funny because I didn't even really like her that much until I started hanging out with you. And then I was like, okay, I like her.
0: There was that one song that was like about – Manhattan and like the beach or something, mm-hmm. and I just really, I
1: really well, didn't you? Wasn't that the whole thing? The sign that made you feel like you could leave New York was that you had been really kind of in this bad place and you weren't sure what to do and you were thinking about leaving, you were listening to a lot of Cerebrellas, and then didn't you see her on the street? Oh my God. Yes. I saw her that day.
0: And I was like, this is my sign. I think like it's time. Oh my God. I had forgotten that.
1: It gives (laughs) me the chills thinking about it.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, this is a good segue into you following your passions and how it happened. So we're Reflecting back on your year and a half in New York wasn't aligned. We got Carl, like we saw how the universe brought you him and kind of changed the trajectory of your life a little bit. So tell everyone about Metacool, your business, which you made, you were meta before meta, Facebook was meta, which you're such a trailblazer, by the way. (laughs) So just tell me just about your journey. What is Metacool for everyone and tell me about your journey to starting it.
1: Okay. So <clears throat> Metacool, uh, we were meta before Facebook, but we have two T's. So we always joke we were one T away from a really expensive <laughs> buyout of our name. But um, we are a global consulting agency that essentially provides coaching and really turnkey talent development programming for organizations and their women or their other you know historically underrepresented talent. So yeah. Uh, my co founder and I are both coaches, and that's what brought us to starting it. And we use this very whole person approach to talent development that combines personal development and professional development and well being and community yeah. to kind of just reinvent the way that organizations are able to retain and engage and advance women and allies and, and other marginalized groups in the workplace.
0: Do you feel like you're, because obviously I went down a coaching route. Do you feel like you're, you think it's so interesting that you focused on like uh, companies and career and almost the corporate side of things? Do you feel like it was because of your experience
1: that almost became your niche? 100%. For me, when I was going through the coaching program, which I did, the integrative health coaching program through Duke. Yes. How long is that one, by the way? So for me, it ended up being about a year and a half, Mm -hmm. the first, the first part of the course, at least when I did it, I think they've restructured the delivery of it now. And I think you can probably do it all virtually now, but I had to be in person when I did it. Um, The first part was like maybe eight months. And then the second part was six months or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I did, I had a little bit of space in between, but for that first eight month part, we had to be in. Durham twice in person for like a week at a time for like we were doing like triad practice and some really long day intensives. And that's where I met Natalie, my co-founder.
0: okay.
1: Got it. And it was a really similar thing to when I met you, kind of that instant soul sister connection Mm -hmm. where you've just known that person forever. And uh, so Natalie and I met then the first time we were there in person. And then the second time we ended up sharing an Airbnb together and got to know each other really well. And she was pregnant with her son that whole time. And so mm-hmm. we were both kind of at, at at similar stages in our, in our careers professionally, where we were both wanting to make a change and really interested in health and wellness. And so coaching felt like an interesting path to pursue potentially, but it's interesting, right? Like coaching can lead you so many different yes. ways. I think from a career standpoint, obviously the most obvious one is that you could go and just have a private practice as a coach some like a lot like with duke for example the focus there is really on health and wellness it's very clinical Mm -hmm. a lot of those coaches graduate from that program and i think go to work with hospitals you know helping people manage their bmi or their diabetes or whatever it may be that was not really the route i wanted to go like i think there's huge value in that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the healthcare system is so messed up right now where, you know, doctors have 20 minute appointments with people and they can say, if you don't change the way that you eat, you're going to die. And then they leave the room because they have another appointment to go to. And these people are left. there like, okay, I have to change the way I eat or I'm going to die, but I don't know where to start. And that's where a health Mm -hmm. coach can come in. And I think that's really the problem that Duke is, is seeking to alleviate, which I think is great. But for me, I was more intrigued by just the, the principle of coaching, the, the science of behavior change, you know, and the creating new neural pathways to form new habits and things like that. And I really came into that program feeling like I had kind of burned out a little bit in my own career in New York. Like I said, it was really exhausting, really draining for me. And I spent that year and a half really trying to prove myself to everybody and sacrificing so many yeah. things that were important to my health and my well-being in the process of that. And so I felt like how cool would it be to take what I've learned as a coach and bring coaching into the workplace specifically for women who are really ambitious and they're trying to do it all and they're trying to climb the corporate ladder um and they think that the only way to do that is to sacrifice a lot of that other important stuff and yeah. I really saw coaching as a great way to kind of help women work through that and and keep particular things, you know, priorities, values top of mind while still advancing their careers. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring coaching yeah. into the workplace. And I brought Natalie on to help me. And we started having conversations with potential clients who were very much like, Yeah, coaching is great, but what we really need are these bigger development programs. We need mm. the Training and the learning, in addition to coaching. So Natalie and I kind of went back to the drawing board, just you know, given what we were hearing from the market, and designed our first two development programs, where coaching is a huge focus, a huge piece of of the program. Yeah. But there's also this learning. So we have one that's like early career, sure. um, that kind of helps women learn more foundational skills, like really building a network, what it means to go get a mentor, how to get a mentor, what is actual work-life balance, or we hate that term, yeah. life integration or work-life harmony, yep. um, things like that. And then we have a, a high potential program for kind of future leaders or women who are being groomed to be leaders that focuses on the content. There's still a lot of coaching and there's a lot more one-on-one coaching as part of that program. And then there's also just content that's going to help them really prepare for more complex roles. And the fact that yeah. they're probably in a more complex place in their life, they're a lot of times married and their moms and yeah. uh, they've got a lot more going on at that point. Yep, every company needs this,
0: truly. <laughs> like just hearing you talk and I, I have a corporate job and it's 95% women and just <laughs> like thinking about the amazing like impact and change you could have at any company, but especially like heavily women uh, employed companies. Question as you're talking that I didn't think about before all of your programming is it stuff that you've already put together, or when someone works with you, is it you go in person? Like, is someone watching like modules paired with the coaching, or is all the content live?
1: Fantastic question. (laughs) Yes. So it's funny that you ask that because we, one of my big exciting projects when I head back from maternity leave in a few weeks is. Going to be taking some of our live content and making it pre recorded so that we can deliver it in a more asynchronous model, yes. which I'm really excited about. But right now, so it's all delivered virtual. The development programs are cohort based. So we have like 30 women going through a program together, but they could be all over the world, but they're kind of in similar spaces and their careers, and they all work for the same organization. And they all come together for what we call virtual learning sprints that are kind of like there's Zoom sessions, they're like webinars, but they're super interactive. And they're led by two of our facilitators who are in whatever region this particular cohort's in. So like we run our programs all over the world in obviously North America, but Latin America, um, the EMEA region, APAC. So like if it's an APAC group, you know, we may have women in Malaysia, Thailand, Australia, wherever. And and we've got facilitators from there also who can speak to their experience it wouldn't really make sense to have like me leading a session for a bunch sure. of in southeast asia right yes i've done it but it doesn't really make sense <laughs> So, yeah, they come together live for these two hour sessions where they're learning stuff together and some group coaching is happening in a lot of small breakout rooms. And then in between those Zoom sessions, they're meeting in even smaller groups of four to five with a coach and they're setting goals for themselves based on the things that they're learning. Because a lot of times they get together for these learning sprints and they realize like that they have gaps. We do this exercise in our early career program called the success circle, where you can kind of see all the different people you should have in your network. And that's a really crucial one where people are like, Oh, I should have a mentor or I should have a sponsor or, you know, and then they're able to go into coaching and sit and set a goal around. I'm going to get yeah. a mentor, and work through coaching with that. And I that's love that. Yeah.
0: I'm so proud of you. Are you so proud of what you built? That's amazing. Thank you.
1: You're so sweet. I am. I'm really proud of it. It's, it's crazy doesn't really seem, you know, I have a little bit of that imposter syndrome still always. I'm like, oh, I have done this, but I just feel really grateful that I'm doing something that I love, that I'm really passionate about, that brings all my interests together and that it's stuff that other people are passionate about and that I'm building something that is hopefully, and I know really impactful to other people it can be really life changing and oh yeah we have at the end of all of our programs we have graduation ceremonies that happen over zoom where we ask the the program participants you know if they want they can take themselves off of mute and and share a little bit about their experience and things like that and i try to sit in on as many of those live graduations as i can and I just cry at all oh, of them. I mean, yeah. women talk about the coolest things. They're like, because of this program, all of a sudden I felt like I could I could go back and I could get my master's degree and I'm enrolled in this program now. And I'm my coach has helped me figure out how to make it work with my day job and my master's degree and my kids at night. And I am feeling like I'm thriving more than ever before this program. I was surviving now I'm thriving or whatever it may be. And
0: yeah.
1: it's, it's just so cool.
0: And that tangible impact. There's just like nothing like it to see how you can make such a difference.
1: Yeah. And so I just, I'm just thrilled and shocked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Being an entrepreneur
0: is not easy saying it from experience. And I imagine as you were talking, and I don't want to speak for you, but I imagine having a business partner is really nice in the entrepreneur journey. Because I just speaking for myself, I always felt so alone. The entrepreneur path wasn't the right fit for me. I think it was a perfect thing for me in my life at the time and my evolution as a human. But I, it wasn't, I mean, obviously I have a corporate job now and, you know, love my job and that's a better fit, but being an entrepreneur is so hard. (laughs) So at the same time, so I don't want to speak for you again, but the business partner thing to have that
1: partner built in, I imagine is nice. The business partner thing is everything. Yeah, it is. So I did medical for like six months on my own. And, you know, granted I was younger when we started it, a little greener, I didn't have a huge network. So that was a challenge on its own, but it is, you're right. It's so lonely. Mm -hmm. And the value of having somebody to, to bounce ideas off of, obviously, you know, Natalie had this amazing network as well that we were able to tap into, but then to brainstorm together, you know, just you even think about like how dynamic a brainstorm with another person can be when you're just having conversations and you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and sees what, seeing what sticks and, and you kind of build off of each other and, and things like that. Like when we were starting the business, that was so helpful, but then also Especially when you start a business and you're talking with all these big companies and you're trying to pitch this idea, you're gonna hear no a lot and you're gonna do really stupid things and you're gonna say dumb stuff and you're mm-hmm. they're gonna ask you questions that you don't have the answers to. And to have somebody sitting there with you or, you know, virtually across the room to laugh about it and yeah. you know, help you pick yourself up and dust yourself off, like the value yeah. in that is is huge too, because I think that's the biggest thing, like really being able to keep a sense of humor and a sense of positivity through hard times, having another person. It's kind of like, you know, in a marriage when one person falls apart, the other person is the strong one. It's the same way in in a business partnership. And I really do like Natalie is my other life partner. Yeah. Yeah. Like I married Carl and married Natalie.
0: (laughs) I love it so much. Oh, it's so nice. I'm, so just happy for you. And that, that was the path and that the universe brought you guys together. Cause yeah. How, let's talk about mom specifically in what you do. Like, what is the, cause you touched on it a little bit, like the whole, not, not work-life balance, but like work-life harmony for the moms that you work with and help. What is always the number one complaint you feel like, or always the number one, like problem that they come to, you with your network worth, et cetera.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, gosh, that's such an interesting question. I feel like from moms, we hear time management, yeah. feeling like a struggle and mom guilt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh that's yeah. It, uh-huh. Maybe the biggest one, like just cause they're working moms. And I, it's such a tricky thing. Like I even experienced this too, where Like as a working mom, I have a nanny from 830 to five every day. And Mm -hmm. at five, I feel like I have to be so on from five until bedtime. I have to be the world's best mom. So engaged, playing all the games, making the most amazing dinner, doing all the things because I have this guilt that I wasn't with my kid all day.
0: Yes, I have that.
1: Yes. You know, and it's like, it's this feeling, who am I to like be tired at the end of the day? Because like my kid was with somebody else all day and now it's, I've got to be the best mom ever. And like, I don't think dads have that. I don't either.
0: <laughs> like, they <laughs> don't come in my, I don't know. I feel bad. I don't want to speak for my husband, but <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, like, like
0: they're this human, like this human was inside of me is my responsibility that they're alive. And then like, but now that they're alive, I hand them over for someone else to take care of -hmm. or something. There's something
1: there Mm -hmm. (laughs) for sure. And that's really hard, especially as a working mom, because then, you know, you work, say it's eight 30 to five, like me, and then you're home at five or, you know, you get the handoff from the nanny or you pick up from daycare and you want to be really on. The last thing you're going to do is then take an hour to go work out, or take 45 minutes to sit in a bubble bath like you don't feel like you can do anything for yourself you you're either working or you're momming like there's no in between and there's such I've heard a lot of women who go through our programs feeling guilt around that and that's something even we've had women like set goals around that with their coaches in the program like around feeling less guilt and and they'll set a goal. Like I'm going to practice taking 20 minutes for myself. When I get home, my kid can watch 20 minutes of Octonaut and they're happy. And you know, I can have a cup of tea and decompress from the day and then I can be their mom and I don't have to have guilt around that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's such a good one. And yes, I can relate
0: to everything you're saying. Okay. Mom, how do you take Matt leave as an entrepreneur?
1: Great question. Again, the business partner thing comes in there <laughs> huge.
0: That's true. That's true. Yes.
1: Oh man. Natalie, Because and...
0: not as an entrepreneur is so confusing. So I imagine, and like, also it's your baby, like you have your new baby, but your business is your baby. So it's like, do you take the same amount of time as you would from another job?
1: Yes. So another great question. I think it depends. So uh, for me, I have been really lucky where I've had the opportunity, the option with both of my kids to if I want to take a 4 month mat leave, I can. Okay. And that is huge because I have Natalie who is amazing and willing to hold down the fort and manage the team and we now this the second time around have an even bigger team that really they manage themselves and we have they they have direct reports now when I my first maternity leave I had a lot of people directly reporting to me. Now I have almost no one directly reporting to me, which that helps a lot the second time around. But um, but yeah, I went into both maternity leaves, very much like so with Lane, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna try to take, you know, the full 12 weeks and I really wanna soak it up. But like I'm the co-founder and I am a control freak and I want to have a pulse on all of this stuff. And so I had said to everybody, yeah, I'm gonna go on maternity leave, I'll have an out of office on but like, you'll still see me. You'll still hear from me. And I had Lane and it was like, I had been hit by a truck. Like I thought I was prepared. I thought I knew what motherhood was going to be like. And I was upside down. Like, couldn't even, I like looked at this little human and was like, I so don't know what I'm doing. I, I, couldn't think straight. I couldn't see straight. The last thing I could do was take a work call. Like I could not even deal with compartmentalizing that at all. And I ultimately, I had um, postpartum anxiety pretty intensely with Lane. And it was so lucky that I had Natalie to hold down the fort for me while I was gone, because I literally, I went into a hole for 14 weeks and I did not come out to talk to anyone or even think about work for 14 full weeks because I, I physically, mentally could not wrap my brain around it. Yes. This second time around has been so much better. I don't really have, I'm, I'm, I'm just an anxious person, (laughs) but, um, I wouldn't really classify this as that same intense postpartum anxiety or depression that I experienced with lane and so yeah. i have been able to you know take a few calls and and do a few things through maternity leave and i've actually wanted to because when i did come out of that 14 week hole the first time around work was what brought me back to life it mm-hmm. was like i was me again i was using mm-hmm. my brain in different ways and i've i just felt alive in a way that i hadn't all of maternity leave and so knowing that this second time around I was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, I want to try to keep work a little bit around because that might actually help me like from a helping strategy standpoint. And I think it has really, I think that's been like the calls, the work calls that I've had, the few work things I've done. I hang up the phone and I'm just like elated for hours after. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm still a capable human. Yeah, it's nice.
0: Yeah, it's a nice like when you are like heads down in that, I hear people refer it to it as like as the trenches and then you have the layer of like anxiety. I, same with me, like such bad postpartum anxiety. Like, yeah, there is this when you get your groove back a little bit where you realize like, okay, I have been here in the trenches, but there's other things There's other things out there. It's like a nice, it just refreshes you in a way. It's a nice like reminder when you, because it's true, especially first time mom, you like have no idea what to expect. You have no idea what you're doing. I remember, I'll never forget. And this is, we're bringing it back to Sarah Bareilles again when you texted me. And it was like, happened to be when I was like nursing Maddox first three weeks of his life at some point. And you're like, I'm driving and I'm Sarah Bareilles came on and it made me think of you. And you were like, I cried and I cried and I cried for like the first three months. (laughs) And there I was in the nursing chair, like crying. (laughs) It is that first um, time around is so just, it's so hard to figure out. It's
1: so hard. And. Yeah, I could not believe too that more women hadn't told me about it. Yeah, talked about it because then when I was experiencing it, I was going to some of my girlfriends who'd had babies and was like, "Did you have this? Was this normal?" And they were like, Yeah. "Yeah, oh yeah, I had really bad postpartum depression or whatever." And I'm like. You didn't tell me. I was such a douche texting you, asking you to send me pictures of your baby. I had no idea you were probably sitting there sobbing. I felt exactly the same.
0: I felt like I wanted to go apologize to every single one of my mom friends and be like, I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you. Like, I was just living my life. Like, <laughs> yes.
1: yeah. And also, like, it made me completely rethink the whole, like, you know how women can just be like a little catty and kind of judgmental with each other sometimes? That's just, I don't know why we do that. But I was like, after I had Lane, I was like, how does any woman who has had a baby and had a newborn look at any other woman who has also done that and have anything but love and respect for her? Totally. Like there is truly nothing harder. I don't think. No, no. Anyone who has done this, you are a goddess. Yeah. You deserve all the love in the world. I have nothing bad to say to you ever.
0: Oh my God. It's so, so true. It's like the great unifier. Like I, we live on a street with has that has a school and I see moms walk by to walking their kids to school and I no idea who they are. The strangers <laughs> live somewhere in my neighborhood, but I like, I'm now being a mom. I look at them like, wow, like <laughs> you, you did this too. And like, gosh, like you, you kept them alive. They're like in elementary school. Like you're still doing it. It's just weird. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just total. Like I'm in awe of every uh-huh. woman that has uh-huh. a kid.
0: Totally. Yeah.
1: What was your,
0: it's such a relief when I, I hope this doesn't sound bad, but it is a relief when you feel like you've, know other moms who also had because like people say oh yeah I had postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression like it's a thing but you don't really get that it's a thing until you're in it what was your so it's a, it's like very comforting to know you're not alone in that which is really the or- why I wanted to do mama to mamas in the first place to make this part of like more of a near normal narrative and like help some yeah. maybe future new mom out there but what was your I feel like I could I could probably pinpoint some of the roots of my anxiety, like what caused me the most when I had Maddox, but what was yours, would you say? Like your greatest sources of anxiety.
1: Yeah. So I think for me, it was kind of this broader overarching the not knowing what I was doing.
0: Uh-huh. Was,
1: was so stressful and anxiety inducing for me because I'm somebody, I like to know what I'm doing. I like to be good at things. I like to be the best at things. And when I'm doing something where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's very disconcerting. Yeah. It really throws me for a loop and I'm super uncomfortable. And every single part of having a newborn was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to breastfeed. I didn't know what to do when I got engorged or had a clogged duct. I didn't know if she was getting enough milk. You know, I heard, I heard you chat with, Oh, yes. Always
0: know if they're getting
1: enough. Yes. Yeah. You know, and then, like, or like with the sleep stuff, or is her room the right temperature? All these little things that you're told go into keeping this little bundle of amazingness alive that is this thing now that you love more than anything in the whole world. And you don't know what the hell is going on. The whole experience for me was just so uncomfortable. And I just basically with lane, I remember for weeks, the first few weeks of having her, I would sit in my living room on the couch and I'd have her in the dark. And you know, they sleep so much when they're brand new and she would just be sleeping. And I would sit there staring at the wall. And I felt like I couldn't move. Like I was Uh paralyzed. I was like, I have to be here in case she moves, in case she makes a noise, in case she wakes up, she's gonna need something from me. I am her source of life. I yes if she needs to eat, it comes from my body. I literally I couldn't even get up to like go get myself something to eat. And I would just sit there and wait for something to happen and cry.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just
1: total paralysis.
0: Yes. It's all those little things. Like you're even the room temperature. I had forgotten about that. That's a good one. Um
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. The feeding, the what to do next, is she swaddled right? Like just, yeah, it's such a learning curve. And I think, yeah, to your point about, I think we all probably like to like have a sense of control and know what we're doing. And to your point about wanting to be good at something, I think, yeah, when you're left feeling like, gosh, I am not good at this and there's so much to learn and figure it out. It's, it just fuels the anxiety.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I think, too, that's like almost where, like, some of what I typically think are my best traits, I think mm-hmm. were actually kind of detrimental to me, where, like, I'm a lifelong learner. You know, I want to be really good at things that I do. Mm-hmm. And so like I had this pressure on myself, too. Like, I'm going to be the mom of a newborn. I'm going to be the best mom of a newborn. And I'm going to yes. get her to sleep through the night right away. Or I'm going to get her eating really well right away. Or crawling really fast or whatever. Yeah. She's going
0: to be a master at tummy time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that like added pressure too, I think made things harder because you can't control that. You can't control, you know, whether or not really your baby breaks out of the swaddle, even if you try 65 different ones, like yeah, they might just be a really strong baby. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I was talking to my husband last night about I'm sure you've done this too, where you go, where you look at your camera roll, you go way back. (laughs) He's about to be one. And like, all I can do right now is look at the photos from like the first month of his life, which was the darkest, like hardest, (laughs) highest anxiety time for me. And like, all of a sudden you have this weird nostalgia for it because they're getting older and you're like, wait, but I want them to be tiny again. It's this weird, odd cycle. I feel like as a mom that happens, but we were talking about how I do feel like the one thing I knew going in, like I heard people tell me was like, oh, everything's a phase. Everything's temporary. It's all a phase. Don't worry. Like if I could go back and tell myself something in that moment, it would be like, just don't worry about this one failed NAP attempt. Or like, because it's all, it all just is going to be over before you know it and we'll move on to
1: the next thing. (laughs) Yes. And I think for me, the second time around that has been what has been so valuable because I did it one time. I know your point. If one nap gets screwed up, we're not screwed for the rest of time. He's not a bad sleeper now. And with the first time around, you don't know that you think one nap gets screwed up and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. Maybe this is now how it is. Maybe she doesn't nap anymore. You know, like, And with the second one, you can just be a little more at ease because you know, yeah, I've Mm -hmm. seen naps get messed up before Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be this long-term issue. And so you don't worry as much, but I do think that mantra of this is temporary. I, I say that to myself over and over and over again. Like, you know, you get up, you're so tired doing like a middle of the night feeding and you have that thought like you know my th- my therapist calls it catastrophizing like mm-hmm. i am going to sleep again this is my yeah. life now, forever yes. i'm just exhausted and getting up four times all like light- all night long this is my life now and then to be like no no this is temporary mm-hmm. and i've done it before now and i know i've got a kid in the other room who sleeps seven to seven yes. and i can barely even remember when i was doing this with her like yes. this is temporary. And that was, that was the mantra too, that got me through labor with river where I, we had like a couple of different like mantras, affirmations that we were using in labor. And I remember like clutching Carl's arm at one point and being like, I just need you to tell me over and over again, that this is temporary. This is going to Mm -hmm. end that I'm in right now is not going to be here tomorrow. Like that's what I need to hear. And so the whole, like, this is temporary thing has been huge for me. Yeah.
0: Because you're, I mean, it can start everything in life is temporary, but like to start it in the birth process is a good one to keep carrying through. Okay. You mentioned this to me that you had a medicated birth with Lane and unmedicated with Riv. So please tell us the difference. And A, how did you do that? (laughs) B, tell us the difference.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's really interesting too that you say, like, kind of carrying the importance, I think, of carrying that mantra or starting with it in kind of the pregnancy and birth experience and then bringing it into the postpartum period. Because I actually think there's really something to that. Where with Lane, you know, we did like a class through Tinyhood on birth mm-hmm. prep, whatever, but I very much went into her birth and labor being like, I don't need to be a hero. I don't need to make this harder on myself than it Mm -hmm. is. Like I I'm totally fine to get an epidural. Like we read, you know, all of Emily Oster's books expecting better crib sheet. We, we knew the statistics on things. We wrote a birth preferences document that was like, you know, if we need to use Pitocin, here's how much we're comfortable with. Or like, we don't want to induce unless, you know, the water has, the water broke and it's been past 12 hours or we want to early labor at home, all of those things. Um, so I went into it feeling like I was going to be, I was like pretty prepared. And then when labor started with Lane and, you know, we did early labor stuff at home and then the contractions really intensified and triage, it really took me by surprise. I think like how painful they were. And I got really scared. Yeah. It, I, there was really a lot of fear. And I was like, okay, I want this epidural right now. Like I thought I could maybe go a little bit longer. Like, no, I just, I want to get the epidural. I don't want to feel this pain. because I'm scared now. And so we did the epidural right after getting out of triage and kind of long story short, after pretty much a whole long night of trying, you know, had the epidural trying to progress and and I had stalled at about uh, six centimeters, we realized in the morning, like my entire right side of my body, like head to my toes was completely like paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And my left side, I was still very much in labor and feeling it. So the, I I think it's kind of common actually that the epidural doesn't get your whole body at both it sides. Yeah. Did them. they rotate yeah. you? They did. Okay. Yeah. And, and that didn't really help a whole lot. And mm-hmm. so they, the, they made the call to take out the first epidural and place a second epidural because then the pain got really bad. Once, you know, I had stalled and they started pushing the Pitocin to get things moving along. The second epidural did work. But what happened was it made my, my blood pressure drop really significantly and I kind of passed out. And so then they shot me up with all these other drugs to get me back, to get my blood pressure back up and, and, you know, have me be conscious. And that gave me the worst headache I've ever experienced in my life. Like I felt like my skull was going to explode and sort of through this whole time of, you know, cause getting an epidural is actually a long process. People think they come in, they do it, they're in, they're out. Yeah. I was so surprised. On, yes. Yeah. And so in that hour that all of this was happening, I was, pro- I had progressed to 10 centimeters and was ready to push, but I was in so much pain in my head that I, I couldn't, and we need to wait another couple hours because all they could give me then at that point was Tylenol for the headache pain to go away or diminish a little bit so that I could push and get laying out. And so like all of that, like I looked back, like that was a really traumatic for me and kind of kickstarted the whole like, holy shit effect of like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. And the whole experience just felt like it was happening to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't feel like I had, I could ask any questions. I just felt no like agency really in the whole process. Mm -hmm. I think that I really did carry that home with me too, where I was like, I didn't even know how to this baby the right way how am I supposed yeah. to raise her yeah. and I think that that was with me for a long time so then when I found out I was pregnant again when Lane was only six months old mm-hmm. um I was really nervous about the whole giving birth thing again so I started working with a wonderful um, doula friend of mine who kind of helped me like revisit that trauma and like work through it a little bit and then start thinking about how I wanted to have a different experience the second time around. Yeah. And that was when I decided I really wanted to go unmedicated. Cause I feel like a lot of the stuff that went wrong was a, a result of the two epidurals and, and things like that. So we did um, a natural hospital birth course okay. called Copa birth that we really liked. And just kind of gives you like sure. the coping tools that you really need to get through a natural delivery. Um, and so just like having those in your pocket is super, super helpful. I, I think I just did a lot of like mental work. I did a lot of meditation and mindfulness. I had my sure. affirmations. I had my mantras. I was also I worked with like a personal trainer who, I had expressed, I said to her, like, this is my goal. I'm trying to have an unmedicated birth. What can I do to prepare my, my body for that? And so yeah. she was awesome. She did all this research on the best, you know, prenatal workouts and what we could be doing to open my pelvis up and yeah. strengthen my my core and keep my glutes turned on and all this stuff that would help me in labor. And I did that. I worked out with her twice a week, all the way up until like a day before Riv was born. So we did a lot of front-end legwork yes, yes, to get us yes, through yes. Uh, the actual birth.
0: Okay, such an incredible story. also reminds me of just, just like birth trauma in general. I feel like maybe, I don't want to speak for all women, but like it is very traumatic. Like birth yeah. is hard. It, it, it took me by such surprise how hard it was. And I'm just like, I can't believe that all women do this. And I wasn't, it wasn't registering how hard it was. Like you always get like, oh, it's so painful, so painful. But like, I
1: couldn't, I did not, nothing prepared me for that level of pain. No. Um, And doing it naturally, like I can say with 100% confidence, like that's the most pain I will ever experience in my entire life. Like every, the ring of fire is real. Like the contractions, I mean, holy man, it is it's something else, but the whole, like, this is temporary thing. Yeah. Also the Glennon Doyle, I can do hard things. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, having a first baby. Also, I ha- I had Carl and our doula showing me pictures of lane and it was like, this is why you're doing this. She's oh, I like that. That's she a good tip. Your daughter uh-huh. that you can do hard things. Uh-huh. I like that. That helped a lot. Yeah. And, and then really like the fact that I did do it, I was like, I was riding that high for weeks. I was like, I can do anything now. Yeah. Now that I've done
0: this, (laughs) nothing's
1: ever going to get in my way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is quite a pep in your step for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Looking back, even though the natural one was so much painful, more painful in a different way, Mm -hmm. if you reflect on both, was that one better for you? hundred percent
1: yeah a million times over it was it was so much better i felt like i was so much more in control Mm -hmm. i could feel what was going on in my body respond Mm -hmm. the way that i wanted to
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it made recovery so much quicker i was gonna ask about that yeah uh huh oh really quicker yeah wow because so i think it's pretty common I believe I read a statistic recently, like you are more likely to tear if you have an epidural Mm -hmm. just because you can't feel anything down there and you're pushing with everything you have. That being said, I also pushed obviously with everything I had the second time around with no Mm -hmm. epidural. And I remember like it was so painful in my head thinking I'm going to rip from my vagina all the way through to my butthole and I don't care. I know how bad this is going to be. And I don't care. I will deal with the repercussions later. I have to get this kid out of me. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, you know, he's on my chest 10 minutes later. And they're like, you didn't tear at all. Stop. Like, what? Wow. I was like, can you check again? Yeah. Wow. That can is incredible. Feel-
0: tearing was yeah. like my biggest fear. Like I should have been fearing the contractions, but like tearing
1: was my biggest fear. It was mine too. Yeah. 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 And I tore with Lane and, you know, that made the recovery just a little harder. You know, you bleed a lot longer, like getting up and moving around and walking is harder for baby is hard. And I didn't have any of that with Riv. I really felt good.
0: after. I, I feel really similar to like, when I went into the, my experience, I was like, I am not opposed to an epidural. I want to try. I'll, I'm going to try my hardest to like labor as long and naturally as possible. My t- birth trauma was more about ret- I had a retained placenta okay. and it didn't come out. So then I had to go to the OR because I was maybe going to have to get a DNC. Thank goodness it dropped and I didn't. Um, but I feel similarly and did a lot of preparation, was open to either way, was hoping, hoping I could do it naturally, couldn't, yeah. but still feel really proud of myself, you know, that
1: yes. <laughs> I see it, but general,
0: still. you know, right. Like, you know, no matter how you birth, whether it's C-section, natural, medicated, like just be proud of you, right? Yes. What would you say is like, if so someone is in that boat of maybe it's their first time, what piece of advice might you give a first time mom who's in that boat of I'm open or I want to have it natural or what would be your piece of advice be?
1: You know, my biggest piece of advice is really to just understand all the options, all the different mm. ways that you can give birth because no matter what you're going to do, even if you even if you think you're going to have an epidural or a C-section or whatever, like whatever your plans are, natural, however, mm-hmm. I think you have to have some coping strategies in your pocket mm. because it's all going to be hard. Like I think what happened with me, with mm-hmm. Lane, was because I went in and I was open to the epidural, I kind of thought that the epidural was the coping strategy. Uh. I didn't think that the epidural was going to be hard. I thought that the epidural was going to make the hard, easy. Yes. And the actual epidural itself was really hard and caused yes. a lot of problems and was a really unpleasant experience and caused a cascade of other effects and things yes. to happen. And so like, I think had I even just like w- what I learned, cause it just did, you know, I did so much preparation for the second birth. Had I had even a fraction of that the first time around, mm-hmm. like Even sitting on the table, being screamed at by the anesthesiologist, like, do you verbally consent to having this epidural? No, no, no. And it's like, yes, obviously, like I called you in here, like make the pain go away. Like if I had even just had like a breathing technique Mm
0: -hmm. to be
1: like, you know what? This guy is screaming in my face, but I can breathe in and out or like my little like mini cat hiss breath that I learned Mm -hmm. in my (laughs) course like that would have been so helpful. I didn't have yeah. any coping strategies. Uh-huh. I just was flying blind the first time yeah. around, you know? So I think no matter how you're birthing, yeah. just having some things that you know, and you know, it could be like the mantra, like this is temporary, being able to repeat it over and over again and having a list of those. Cause sometimes you can't think of them in the moment. So like yeah. have a note on your phone and have your partner help so yeah. that you can, they, they can help remind you about that stuff. Like yeah. Carl, a lot of times too, like you go into like panic mode because it's mm-hmm. scary what's happening to your body. And so to have a person who's not having that stuff happen to their body, be like, Hey, you're, you're like hyperventilating. Let's breathe together. Let's yeah. do that little yeah. mini cat hiss thing. Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard of the cat hiss breath. It's so funny. It's like, what is it? You go, you breathe in and then you do this little like, and then out. So it's like. Uh huh. Um, And and like, like you see versions of that, like in old '80s movies, and like Lamaze classes and stuff, where they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like really apparently not how you're supposed to breathe, but yeah, the mini cat hiss—it just kind of gives you something to like focus on. Uh huh.
0: Uh huh. I think that's such good advice. I had no. I mean, I did a lot of preparation. I did online courses. I thought I had my mantras and I had my crystals in my hospital bag and, you yep. know, I I had a printouts of different positions to do. And yeah, it's such good advice. Having coping strategies to do because the pain is so enormous. It's yeah. so overwhelming. So being, <laughs> I'm just laughing at myself because it's funny. Like I felt like I had all these coping strategies and <laughs> all of a sudden, just, I was on the way to the hospital, thinking to myself, "I've never experienced this much pain." Out um, the window they go.
1: Yeah, out the you window just, they go. It's immediate fight or flight.
0: Yeah, but I, it is such good advice because I think, and I, I imagine too, the whole, it's the whole like your energy as a first time mom, which is your energy as a second time mom, the shift that happens, right? And the the bit of confidence that you maybe get that that you've done this once, so you know, you at least know like what it is, I think will pro- I imagine kind of help too. So anyways. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Okay, I could just talk and talk and talk and talk to you it's so fun to catch up. Okay. So we're going to end our ep with the three questions I ask every guest. Um, so tell me the first thing that comes to mind for each question. What is the one thing that took you by surprise or you feel like no one ever talked about that you learned was part of being a mom?
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, I really, I really do think the whole like postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression thing. That was really surprising. my. <coughs> oh. hey, back he's back at the perfect time oh you're okay that was Mm -hmm. just like a little a little wake up like oh it's okay but I think like this maybe what I didn't know more than I think you know they say like oh you're gonna like love this human more than anything in the whole world but the I think the postpartum anxiety piece probably for me is like I'm going to like love this little human more than anything and be so terrified at the same time that I'm just going to screw them up long term and I'm not going to do it right or they're not going to feel loved enough or whatever. Like it's this, the most overwhelming feeling of love and sheer terror Uh all at the same time. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Good answer. (laughs) Okay, take yourself
0: back to the early days of having Lane, which we just touched on a lot. If you could give that first-time mom version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: To just try not to take everything so seriously. It's It doesn't all matter as much as it feels like it does. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, I always
0: felt like I'm like... Should I be enjoying this more? <laughs> I yeah. feel guilty for not enjoying it more because, like, I was so anxious. I I yeah. such good advice. I'd be like, just
1: don't take this so seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably like, you know, anytime anyone asks me to look back on any part of my life, it's like, yeah. don't take any of this so seriously. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> it's such a first time mom version of you. I think I need to lighten up. <laughs>
0: Okay, if you could sum up motherhood in one word or phrase, what would it be for you?
1: Oh, if I could sum up motherhood in one word or phrase, it is a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. All the emotions, all the feels, all the highs, all the lows, often in a matter of 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's so true. Lots of, it pushes
0: you to feel things so much deeper um
1: mm-hmm.
0: I kind of thought that like oh like I hit that peak when you know I found my person but but no motherhood adds a whole other peaks and valleys of emotions oh, yes. on that roller coaster oh
1: so true yep
0: <laughs> okay Malls, you are the best I just adore you uh, everyone listening to this episode is just so lucky for you for sharing your wisdom so thank you so much for you and riv for taking the time
1: on your nanny list morning to chat with us oh oh my gosh thank you for having me it's so good to see you and you're just the same your warmth (laughs) just comes through oh i miss you miss you too all right you guys
0: thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on another episode of mama to mamas bye